Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners and viewers may find the ideas and content expressed disturbing or objectionable. You're in a midlife crisis? <laughs> did, did, you, did you buy a Miata? What did you do? Uh, no, no, I didn't, uh, I didn't do that yet. I didn't buy a red Corvette or, uh, or anything like that. But uh, I've I learned to manage my midlife crisis by using my emotional intelligence skills. And, uh, <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Todd Fredericks, DO, Assistant Professor, uh, Professor. It was a long weekend. Um, assistant professor of family medicine at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. And uh, we're continuing our discussion with Dr. Ramzan Shahid, MD of Loyola uh, University, uh, on the topic of emotional intelligence. And uh, I just want to welcome you back, Dr. Shahid. Great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me back again. You betcha. And uh, Laura um, Jensen, one of our um, anthropologists uh, and uh, and primary care research uh, faculty members or, or um uh, folks in the primary care research office. She's here. She's the one who actually kind of got us tuned into the concept of emotional intelligence because I, I thought I was highly intelligent emotionally until Friday afternoon. It was an hour and a half getting home late. I was not very emotional intelligent by that time. And then uh, Dr. Sharon Casapulo, who is a, a professional educator and researcher here at OUHCOM. A couple of things I wanted to comment on. I didn't at the end of the last segment. Uh, Dr. Sheed, you mentioned, uh, obviously, that there's not a lot of research done on students about emotional intelligence. A lot of your work's with residents. And it sounds like for students who are interested in doing uh, some research in certainly primary care and medical education, it sounds like kind of low-hanging fruit for them to start looking at this concept among medical students' classes. Um, I'm going to bring up a, a case real quick and I, I want, before we launch into the research and the educational issues. Um, occasionally, I'll see students who um, for lack of a better term, of course, everybody likes to throw this out, are on the spectrum, so to speak. Um, I think a lot of uh, some of these kids have probably Asperger's syndrome. Uh, they're very linear. They're, they're, they tend to be fairly stoic. Um, I, I find them to be some of the best students I have uh, to deal with. One of them in particular comes to mind who I think is a fantastic physician. He's going to be a really good internal medicine subspecialist. But we had a discussion about this. And, you know, we watch our students when, we're, when they're doing simulated clini clinical stuff, and he was struggling because he had a difficult time registering with patients because of his affect. And one of my first things was, and this goes back to something I mentioned to you about the how, and maybe you want to wait till we get farther down the road on this, but I just said, look, I watch you. Don't look at your chart. If you do nothing else, make eye contact with a patient and look at them as you're talking to them. Even if you're blunt, that will convey that you're trying to connect. So I don't know if you have an opening thought with that, uh, about that approach, but medical students, how, you know, a lot of complicated personalities, very smart kids, you know, how do we introduce this concept to them and, and get them to understand it's important? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, the eye contact that you mentioned, I think is so important. Uh, you know, I think the nonverbal cues are, are very important. So how you, you know, how you come into the room, uh, if you're rushing into the room or running into the room and you're out of breath and, uh, you know, papers all over the place, that makes an impression uh, on the patient about you as a physician. So I think first impressions are very important. Uh, the nonverbal cues uh, of, again, uh, making good eye contact um, uh, and, uh, you know, making sure you're, you're comfortable, you're, you're uh, you know, sitting appropriately or, or, you know, in a comfortable position um, and you're not you know, looking around, you're not kind of rolling your eyes or you're not, uh, you know, doing anything that, uh, you know, sends a message that you're not interested in, in the patient. You know, and a big component of emotional intelligence is listening is a, is a skill that uh, is so important in emotional intelligence. And I think that's a skill that 
physicians have a hard time uh, 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 really uh, exercising because we're, you know, we listen with, you know, what do they say? Like the average physician listens like 12 seconds before they'll interrupt their patient or, or whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. So we're not very good at listening. So I think, you know, listening is, I think, is a very important component uh, of emotional intelligence that um, that medical students should start to learn. And I think that that really uh, uh, shows interest in the patient and that you care about the story that the patient is telling you and you're going to let them tell the story without interrupting them. So I think I think those are a couple of things that, uh, that that we should really teach our students uh, and that we as, you know, faculty should be uh, role modeling and, and being aware of as well. Yeah, something that comes to mind uh, that came about in some other work was the fact of the size of our computer monitors. Um, I just went to a recent doctor's appointment. I refuse to use anything larger than a Surface because it puts a physical barrier between me and my patient to even have uh, an electronic record with me. And I see these massive computer screens that people think obviously looks cool and sophisticated like something out of NASA or SpaceX, and yet it completely blocks a patient from seeing the physician as they're charting. Right. And, and right. there's plenty of research out of Wisconsin, uh, some folks, I think the researchers up in Wisconsin, looking at eye contact, and we're actually creating barriers with EHR so that you can't make eye contact. Um, and this is something that we really need to, as a profession, start hammering these administrators and say, do not put something between me and the patient. Stop doing it, because it's really, really uncomfortable for them, and they don't have an opportunity to even see you, and you're too busy clicking boxes. So um, I do want to, when, when you go into the research, I want you to talk about what got you interested in this, and, and how does that feed into your research at Loyola? Yeah. So, so again, initially, I got it got interested in emotional intelligence just as a leadership skill, as I was trying to make myself more effective as 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 a leader. Um, and then, um, you know, as a medical educator, I just saw this as an opportunity to uh, really try to teach our residents. Initially, I thought how to make them better leaders. You know, what uh, residency training doesn't really teach a lot of leadership skills, and there's not a lot of leadership curriculums. And and the physicians, when they leave residency, are kind of expected to just naturally know how to be a leader, whether it's in your office or, you know, in the community or in your hospital, you're put on the committees, you're put on to different, you know, organizations and, and you really have no leadership training. So uh, I, I saw this as an opportunity initially as more leadership training for our residents, but again, then realized that this is actually more than just leadership training. It's actually how just to be a great physician in general and how to be actually a, a great person in general um, when you're aware of your own emotions and, and how those emotions are affecting you and others around you and how to build strong relationships with others, how to be a better team player. Um, so then, uh, I, again, in my own interest as a medical educator, I saw this as an opportunity to help educate our residents uh, and our students um, uh, regarding the topic of, uh, of emotional intelligence. And um, uh, and then I got interested in doing a little, little bit of uh, research uh, regarding it as well. Again, saw this as an opportunity that way as well. My chair, my chairman was very supportive. He, he saw this as an opportunity of great educational research within our department and was very supportive of, uh, of allowing me to have some protected time to be able to do that. Um, so uh, uh, so that's kind of where it came from. And uh, thankfully, it's, it's uh, picking up a, a lot of steam within our own department and institution as well. Yeah, and I, I should remind people, you're a professor of pediatrics, aren't you? Yeah, I'm associate professor of pediatrics. Yeah, right. So in general, there's always two patients in the room, right? Which, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that tongue I'm not saying that tongue in cheek. It really is, right? There's two patients in the room for a pediatrician almost always. So how does how does that impact your residents in terms of? It seems to me like it's double the burden, of the challenge of having to deal with two patients in the room. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's it's of course parent and child, right? So, I mean, there's two people that now they're having to deal with on emotional levels. What's that look like in practice for you, Doctor Shahid? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I think especially uh, the kids that are younger, obviously the adolescents, you know, the adolescent uh, you interact with more directly. But when you have uh, younger kids um, and, you know, the parents, it, it's uh, they do kind of become your patient more emotionally um, than, you know, physically. Obviously, physically, your patient is your is the child. But uh, emotionally, the parent is your patient and you're trying to basically provide support to the parent as they're going through an illness with their child and you're providing emotional support uh, to, to the parent. And you're basically trying to pick up on cues to the parent because the child's not telling you what's wrong with them. The, the parent is actually trying to interpret that I think my child, you know, who's, you know, one year of age, that their stomach is hurting or you're, uh, so this is a parent's perspective of what they think is going on with the child. Um, and you're trying to read into the uh, uh, emotions of the parent and the frustrations of, of having a sick child. Yeah, so I think uh, for pediatricians, I think having an emotional intelligence level, uh, a high emotional intelligence level, I think is very important because uh, as you're suggesting, uh, dealing with emotions um, and the frustrations of having a sick child and the uh, um, and the stress of that uh, can can really take a toll on the parent and you providing that support. It's very, very important. That. Yeah, I have a so, question. Yeah, we're going to go into that right now. Uh, so you guys, you researchers, uh, I want to talk about research background and, and foundations for this. So, I mean, Sharon, you want to start with that? Um, no, if you have a general question, I have a specific one about uh, what you were just referring to, actually, about the yeah. interaction with families and and um, diversity and, and the challenge that our students will face in dealing with patients who come from a completely different worldview or, or life experiences than, than they do. And um, I'm wondering if you can speak to the relationship between emotional intelligence and working with diverse patients. Intercultural yeah, literacy yeah. and how that all plays in. Yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, you know, again, uh, the first component of, of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So knowing your own weaknesses or areas to improve on. So if you know that you come from a certain background and that your patients are going to come from a different background, being aware of your potential biases that you may have and then addressing those biases by becoming more knowledgeable in different cultures and being more sensitive to the needs of those cultures, I think that's the first step of, of emotional intelligence uh, uh, in that regard. And then the universal language of, again, respect, kindness, courtesy, and treating everyone as if they're your own mom or your own grandmother or whoever it would be, I think whatever language it is is being spoken, whatever culture that they might be coming from, that 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 uh, approach of common courtesy, respect, and uh, and 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 treating everyone in, in that way by using those emotional intelligence skills, I think uh, will uh, uh, really break a lot of those barriers. Then, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I, I would just make a comment. I think an excellent tool for this is Twitter. I, I think if you get yourself a Twitter account, you follow a whole bunch of various people across the spectrum, and then you you train yourself not to respond. To things that offend you and you train yourself how when you do respond to be thoughtful and non-pejorative in the response uh, and you only have 140 characters so twitter is actually i think a really good tool for people if you say i'm going to commit 10 minutes a day to looking at headlines from things i disagree with and figuring out how do i respond to that in a way that is thoughtful non-pejorative and and 
and is limited to 140 characters. And it sounds crazy, but I, I found my writing has changed completely since I started getting on Twitter because you have to pick your battles. You have to say, is this a battle I can win? Is this something, is this a person that I can convince? Probably not. I'll just try to make a thoughtful comment or maybe I'll just move on. You know, I, I think there's something to that. Laura, do you have some thoughts about the research side of this? Because we have to have a research foundation if we're yeah. going to talk about pedagogy, right? right. Or andragogy, <laughs> as one of my critics likes to say. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So actually, I was wondering if you were um, surprised by the outcome. So your studies showed that impulse control, empathy, and social responsibility were high, were ranked high. And I was wondering if those qualities um, were surprising to you. Um, they weren't necessarily surprising. I think uh, I think most physicians, you know, have a high level of empathy, um, and uh, uh, that portion I don't think was as surprising. Um, maybe the impulse control again. Maybe that might be pediatricians are uh, maybe a little better at impulse control compared to maybe other specialties, and I think it might be related <laughs> to uh, uh, you know the the personality that go into pediatrics when you're around kids and you have to you just have to be a little more patient, a little more tolerant when the child's not cooperating and you can't get a good look in their ear or you can't get a good look in their mouth. Yeah. So you have to be able to control your emotion and your frustration maybe at that time. So I think I think some of it might be, you know, uh, maybe related to the personalities that go into uh, into into pediatrics uh, as well, you know, and social responsibility is all about, again, uh, you know, serving others and helping others. So so I think, uh, you know, uh, physicians uh, in general, uh, uh, you know, would tend to fall into that into that category then. Could it also be correlated to um, the role of the resident, the expectation of behaviors around the role of the resident? Uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, um, some of those strengths, uh, again, the role of the resident, again, making sure you're responsible and uh, taking care of what you need to do and then, uh, uh, you know, helping others, you know, serving others and impulse control, you know, as a resident, you're, you know, you might have an idea of what you want to do, but the, the attending is kind of telling you, no, I think we should do it this way. And so then you have to kind of, you know, either, you know, make a suggestion or recommendation in a, in a respectful way or, or just kind of decide that, okay, yeah, I'm going to control my, you know, thoughts right now and just kind of go with what's uh, being asked of me at that point. Then, yeah, so some of it might be inherent to, um, you know, being at the level of a resident and, and not being able to have that autonomy uh, at that point then. Do you have the potential of uh, using this cohort to track long term? Yeah, yeah. So uh, um, some of them have graduated, but others are still in, in the you know in the in the program. Um, but yeah, I think tracking them long term would be interesting. And and you know actually in that in that study, you know when we looked at more senior residents compared to the more junior residents, you know we so it's not the same cohort. Obviously, they're you know two separate groups of residents. So so we didn't mm -hmm. track them. But it was interesting to see that empathy. Unfortunately, decreased over you know years of, of training, um, uh, uh, so that's uh, that was a little bit uh, uh, you know disturbing to know that. Uh, but that's actually been described in the literature that uh, as you go through more training at the both at the medical school level, medical student level, and the resident level, that that uh, empathy seems to go down with more years of, of training. That you know, so I think you know trying to figure out how to maintain empathy as an emotional intelligence skill, I think uh, it's something that uh, that we need to uh, really look into. Sharon. Um, I got something for you. Okay. How I'm, does how does a kayak build emotional intelligence? Is this a joke? No, it's it's what how we do it here. Kayak. We have to know about Sharon. Sharon has found therapy <laughs> in kayaking, and Sharon recently got back from a long trip in Seattle. Yeah. And and did you have a good time? I did, and I did kayak. Did you pet a killer whale? 
No, I wish I had. Oh, did you? But we did see uh, seals and, and otters and all kinds of oh, wow. other cool wildlife. So the point is, is it's not a joke because it's, it, it's, it's life and sure. it's important. So it is important mm-hmm. because I know why you took up kayaking. Mm-hmm. Why did you take up kayaking? Yeah, it was um, finding peace, really, in, in, in the midst of chaos and stress and all of the things that life throws at you. I, it was solitude and reflection and um, being surrounded by beauty. And, and to me, that, that helps me feel rejuvenated and healthy and, and well. So, yeah. So what, that's self-awareness, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Dr. Shaheed, what, what, I, I talk to the medical students about this all the time, and Dr. Casapula has done a beautiful job of backing me up. I always like to be proven right. Um, the, the, <laughs> I always ask him, what's your passion? Because medicine is a tough mother. It is a demanding thing. And if you, uh, my, my personal perspective is if you don't have something to fill that cup up, you're going to go to work empty, and you're going to bonk, and it's just not going to be good. So what role does passion and outside pursuits play in the development of healthy emotional intelligence within practitioners? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very important. Uh, like we mentioned, uh, self-awareness uh, as the first component of uh, emotional intelligence, uh, being aware of where your passions are, what your goals are, what drives you, what excites you, what rejuvenates you. So uh, making sure you're on a career path that is going to allow you to be happy every day where you get up and go to work and see patients. So, so again, that, that self-awareness of knowing who you are, knowing your interests, knowing your passions, and then, uh, uh, having the drive to get there, I think, is, is so important. And going back to what Sharon was saying about the kayaking, that, that again, that's all that the self-awareness of knowing what rejuvenates you when you know you've had some you know stressful times and how do you rebuild that energy? How do you prevent the burnout? How do you develop more resilience? It's having the awareness of knowing that this is this is what uh, you know excites me and this is what re-energizes me. Um, and I think having that awareness is so important. That, yeah. So so what? So I'm going to put you on the spot, Dr. Shahid. You're the director of all these residents, and you're you're you're, you're generating these future pediatricians and what are your kids what are your students i shouldn't say kids i'm i'm old right they're all kids right what are they doing to to regenerate themselves and how do you encourage that in your program and residency to get these students away from the the battle zone so to speak so they can go refuel and refit and come back in so they can start fighting the good fight how do you do that what what does that look like in your program yeah so we actually uh have a a wellness committee that uh we've created in the last uh, one or two years uh, headed by uh, multiple residents and multiple years of training uh, with some faculty uh, uh, on the committee as well. And basically, we are generating ideas, um, uh, you know, brainstorm ideas that uh, uh, will allow people to get involved either at the individual level or as a program or as a class um, or as a department. We just actually just had a, a softball game uh, last week, faculty versus residents. Um, so different sporting events, sporting activities. Um, uh, so we, we come up with different ideas and different uh, ways that we can re-energize uh, as, as a group or at the individual level and really encouraging everyone to, again, reflect on what is it that really reinvigorates them. For somebody, it might be sports. For somebody, it's exercise. For somebody, it's you know nature. For somebody, it's uh, music. For somebody, it's their faith. For somebody, it's um, you know something totally different. So uh, really, I you know I ask the residents to you know, reflect on that and to identify what are the things that are enhancing your own resilience and then making sure that you're doing those things, making sure you're taking care of yourself, making sure you're finding time to, to do that and balancing your, uh, your, your work, your regular work and your personal life and, and giving yourself chance to breathe and to, uh, do things that are going to rejuvenate you. And again, appreciating the fact that not everybody is the same, just because you get excited by one thing doesn't mean that that's going to rejuvenate another person. And it has to be done a lot of it has to be done at the individual level, but at the same time, making sure that the 
that the program, the department, the hospital is also having, uh, um, you know, uh, other activities that are uh, at that level so that people can come together and enjoy each other's company as well. Then. So the deeper question I have is, I, if you can take us through the steps, because here's my job. I'm a primary care medical educator. I, I, residents freak me out. Um, I can't teach undergrad. I'm not skilled at that. I don't understand that group of people, but I do understand sort of first and second year medical students. So how do we get them to you? What happens in the admissions process? What happens in the first and second years of undergraduate medical education that we need to be thinking about as educators to get them prepared? So by the time they get to you, the ground is fertile for you to start working with them and take them continue on this journey so that longitudinally all your residents look brilliant and all your patients are happy and they're happy and they're not falling apart. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, um, developing a curriculum for first year and second year med students, uh, you know, before they get into the clinical rotations, I think is important. And that curriculum, uh, you know, obviously there'll be some didactics with that, you know, uh, just talking about the concept of emotional intelligence, the different components, what they are, definitions. Um, but I think uh, then really, uh, you know, examples and maybe, you know, again, watching videos about, uh, you know, what poor emotional intelligence looks like or what high emotional intelligence looks like. Uh, maybe role modeling uh, um, and uh, or role playing, uh, uh, you know, some of those scenarios, you know, you have, you know, a patient that is, you know, saying this or you have a nurse that is saying this or another faculty that is behaving this way. So what component of emotional intelligence are they lacking and how do we, uh, you know, improve on that? So I think, I think developing a, a curriculum in the first two years of uh, medical school, I think would be really, really important. Just the concept of emotional intelligence, the importance of it, um, and uh, the implications of uh, emotional intelligence related to uh, physician outcome, uh, but also uh, wellness and preventing burnout, um, you know, I think, I think would be great, you know, and I, I'm not sure, if, I don't think, um, you know, big, uh, you know, lecture hall and a lecture on emotional intelligence is, is probably not the way to go. It's probably in small groups, you know, of, of 10, you know, uh, mm -hmm. of 10 students working together and uh, having a faculty member or resident, uh, uh, you know, being the facilitator and, and, and talking through different areas of emotional intelligence, different kinds of emotional intelligence, um, and uh, seeing an action again through videos or role playing and things that I think would be would be important, but trying to, to, to teach some of that. Um, and, you know, I can't tell you how many times uh, at the resident level, um, you know, those those lapses of professionalism that come across my desk, um, I always go back to emotional intelligence skills. Every time I hear about a lapse of professionalism, you know, where, where a nurse says that that resident was disrespectful, was condescending, you know, was, uh, you know, was unprofessional, I, I always go back to, you know, emotional intelligence skills that, that you need to be aware of. You know, somehow you came across, now, the perception was that you were disrespectful and condescending that's not who you are that's not what you intended that's you know you weren't uh, you weren't doing that on purpose you're not a malicious person but somehow your verbal uh, cues and your nonverbal cues gave that perception so you need to be aware of how you were coming across so so many times I'm the first one that's that's ever having that discussion with them in my office saying that you need to work on this skill and they never realized that that's how they were perceived or how mm. they been perceived so I think having uh, that concept be brought out to them in the first year or second year of medical school. Um, and a lot of times in first year and second year of medical school, you're, you know, in your classes, you're in the lecture hall, you're not having a lot of interactions with other people. And suddenly you're, you know, in the clinics and you're on the floors and now you're being evaluated, you're being seen and others are looking at you differently. They're not used to that. So I think uh, just making them aware that that's what's going to happen and that they should be aware of how they potentially might be misperceived and uh, uh, starting to develop some of those skills in first and second year 
medical school, I think, are so important because third and fourth year, they start to see that. And by the time you're a resident, if you've never been told that, you know, that the way you just interact with that nurse was, uh, you know, coming across as disrespectful, um, if they can learn that skill or uh, have some idea about that skill early on, I think that'd be a, a, a great benefit before they became a resident. Then. I take admissions very seriously because I'm unleashing people into society potentially, including onto myself, right? So one day I'm going to be old, I'm going to need someone to take care of me, and if I put someone in medical school, there's a, it's a big responsibility that is not fit to take care of people. I, bear some, I feel like I bear some responsibility for that. What are the things that we should be thinking about before we even select medical students. And the reason why I say that, Dr. Shahid, is that, you know, student-doctor network is a huge deal. Our admissions people watch that all the time like hawks because it's almost like TripAdvisor for medical schools now. They're, like, rating the medical school interview process on, mm -hmm. on student-doctor network and stuff. I want to take it the other way. I want to make sure medical students know, look, before you even get here, these are things we need to look at to see if you're prepared to do this. It, have you seen that yet, or is there just not enough research to tell us what the indicators are that we're gonna have a student that potentially has difficult time uh, getting in tune with this concept and, and that will lead to problems in communication later on? Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, I haven't seen anything. I think that's a, a great opportunity for, for research. Um, and actually, there's not even a lot of that at the resident level as well. You know, we, we're obviously interviewing, you know, to, for the match and things, and, and how do we pick up on these emotional intelligence skills as part of the interview process uh, at the resident level as well, other than actually having them take an EI assessment and an actual, you know, a validated uh, assessment. Uh, there's, there's many out there. Some are free, some are more expensive, some are more validated than others. Um, but, you know, that I, I see that that might become, you know, how corporations will give a minister personality test to see if you fit into the culture of the personality or, or of that department or of that team. You know, maybe administering uh, EI uh, assessments uh, and getting a sense of somebody's emotional intelligence. Obviously, they're self-reported. They're, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a self-assessment, but still, it, it, they are validated. Uh, there are validated tools that are out there, and that might be the, the, the next step. But at, at this point, there's actually not a lot of research to, uh, um, as part of the admissions process, whether it's for medical school or whether it's for residency, um, but I think I think that'd be very intriguing to know uh, what an, uh, an emotional intelligence level of an incoming medical student or incoming resident would be. Um, not not it could be a part of the selection process and the admission criteria. I think that could be one use. But I think from an educational perspective, just knowing that somebody is lower in certain components of EI from the beginning, so you can work with them to develop those skills, knowing that that's a weakness to work on. I think again, as an educator, uh, you know I, that'd be great for me to know that you know my residents, where they all fall on all these different scales in different areas, and then developing uh, interventions that can help them at a global level, but also more at the individual level to know that you're, you know, you're not as assertive as others, or you are, you know, you're lower in impulse control than others. Um, and let, let's work on that. And I know that from day one, so that I can work on that as they go through their training. So I think it, from an educational research perspective, knowing that information, I think can really guide improvement um, uh, and growth and development uh, in our students and our residents then. It sounds like a, a ripe opportunity for family medicine fellows and, and RUSP uh, researchers to, to look at. <laughs> Laura, you, you got any thoughts? I, yeah. So if we understand emotional intelligence as being a flexible thing, um, it would be helpful at initially, actually, to know just how flexible it is before we start to use it as a screening tool. For sure. So if we know that someone can really um, overcome something that is perceived as a barrier initially... Um, then it's more of a factor of influence and education than, than um, something that should be screened out or used as a screening tool, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
as a as a student coming in, I personally would like to know where I stand. Um, so as a personal um, assessment and to help me develop maybe a learning plan around specific skill areas, that would be of interest to me as a student. And I, I'm, I'm sure some of our students would be um, would be curious about that as well. I just think it seems like a really awesome thing to be able, because I mean, in the military, we have to take Myers-Briggs, which some right. people argue about Myers-Briggs, but it's really nice to have an understanding of where you are on that personality type. Um, and then I will tell you in special operations, emotional intelligence is well understood. I mean, there are reasons why people get bounced from going into special operations units, and it has to do with that. They're looking. Can you fit in with the team? Can you work together with others? Do you have issues? Because the stakes are very high. But for us, the stakes are high, too, because we're unleashing people into society. And so for an educator at any level, whether it's residency or undergraduate, for us to be able to take that student's profile and say, okay, we know, and maybe even counsel them and say, how are you doing? You know, do you need more time in doing this? Or do you need to, us to help you with this to help develop those skills? Or if there is a patient complaint, we can look at them and say, yeah, we, we knew that there's a potential with this. And we're not going to beat this kid up. It's just their personality type. But we're going to give them some constructive tools to try to mitigate in the future. It seems if we're, if we're uh, compassionate educators, having those kind of tools available to understand that process better means that we're not just beating everybody with the same stick if they have a patient complaint or their Prescani score goes down or something like that. It's, it's more nuanced and it's more individual. And that would engender more collegiality, I think, for the students. They say, yeah, these people really do care about me. They've assessed me. I know where my weaknesses are. I know where I need to work on it. And it's tailored to where I can be the best I can be. And I, you know, you know athletic trainers do that, right? Not everybody's at workout plans the same. I don't and know. And the paradigm yeah. of EI is, is skill-based, right? It's not personality type. So it's not about changing someone's personality. It's just about learning some new skills, which is a mm -hmm. lot less threatening and problematic than saying, well, I'm an INTJ and I can't, you know, it's a weakness or a strength. Are you an INTJ? Yes. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's, why, we get along. That's why we're not the ones who are going to run the emotional intelligence <laughs> education. <laughs> so, so how do we convince curriculum developers? Because we're in the midst of a big curriculum revision here at Ohio University, and it, it has promised to be really interesting and intriguing, but we're always struggling for time, right? How, Dr. Shahid, how do we convince our curriculum developers that we need to put these components in, and what do those components look like? in shaping these educational programs? Just to, just the, yeah. the bullet point, the 30-second the, the elevator pitch, what do we need to be looking at? Yeah, so, so I think we need to definitely incorporate this into the curriculum because, again, research has shown that physicians with higher emotional intelligence level overall are just considered better physicians by their patients. So they have better rapport, they have better uh, uh, trusting relationships with them, they have better patient satisfaction scores. So, so they become better doctors. So if we can make better doctors in that in that regard, then uh, you know I think that's that's what we need to do as educators, letting them out in the world, um, make sure we are making the best doctors that that we can. Um, so I think emotional intelligence is, is part of that. Also for curriculum developers, um, curriculum developers uh, in addition to that, I think again linking it to some of the um, uh, competencies that the that the students and the residents are evaluated against. So again, uh, professionalism, interpersonal communication skills, um, uh, uh, linking the development of that curriculum to those specific competencies, and then also bringing in the idea as we talked about before about wellness and resilience and prevention of burnout. So I think those three uh, uh, areas. Uh, I think um, you know making making the best doctors that we can, 
uh, making sure that uh, uh, professionals and interpersonal skills and those competencies, you know, are 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 optimized, and then also uh, promoting resilience, preventing burnout. I think those three angles, um, I think, are, are what uh, the curriculum developers should really uh, look at as to the reason we need to uh, uh, incorporate EI into uh, into our curriculums. Then, hey, where are other countries on this? As far as you mentioned that earlier on, uh, last segment, you said that other we're not where other what is what is the state of emotional intelligence and understanding as well as education in other countries and their programs? Where have you found? Yeah, so I think um, uh, education. I think they're a little bit ahead of uh, most of the curriculums here in the U.S. because they're uh, starting to incorporate it in, in, into the curriculum. Uh, so in Europe and also uh, in in Asia. Um, a lot of the medical schools are actually uh, studying emotional intelligence in their medical students, um, and actually they're actually looking at outcomes as and uh, as far as where um, can they use emotional intelligence as a predictor of how they're going to perform in medical school. What specialties that might they go into later mm-hmm. on? So there's actually they're using it more uh, as again as a predictor of their success um, in medical school um, um, and as a as a clinician again more from an education perspective trying to help them uh, you know be the best physician they could be but um, you know uh, there there's a lot of research in other countries that are, are looking at outcomes in that way so I think we we're a little bit behind in that regard and I think we could do so much more work uh, in those areas man I can yeah, see I, I can just see a longitudinal study out of OU starting with the prematrix and following them through their specialty training. Yeah. And just looking at that uh, subjectively and objectively as far as, man, that just sounds really interesting. Like I say, if you could tell a kid up front, these are the specialties you should avoid and these are the specialties you really should look at because they seem to be suited to you. If we could tailor that yeah. to them and really show them how they could excel or be mm-hmm. able to say, I know you're interested in this, but this is going to be a, an impediment to you. So th- if you really work on this skill and train in this area this will make it easier on you if that's what you're really called to do. Mm. That's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, and there's nothing on this. It's like more low-hanging fruit. If you just get involved and start doing the research, you're going to support Dr. Shahid and his folks, put more literature in. I think this is great. So so that leads to the, the other end, which is, is this something that you can teach a physician who's been practicing for 20 years? Or is this, you know, I, I'm sure you have a, 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 a much older, much grayer bearded colleague who's just like, <laughs> I hate my life. I don't want to do this anymore. Can you teach the old dog new tricks when it comes to emotional intelligence? It, it's, it, it's a challenge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, uh, like we alluded to, it's kind of the softer side of uh, being a physician and the, and the medical training, um, but I think uh, uh, they they see now with with this generation of learners that there's a lot more focus on on collaboration, teamwork, working together, um, and making sure they're uh, uh, getting the feedback that they need. Um, so I think uh, um, the more seasoned and experienced uh, faculty is realizing that they need to learn this skill because they're not as effective in uh, communicating with the learners anymore because the learners don't seem to be uh, uh, as uh, in, uh, you know as involved or, or taking the uh, teaching from those faculty uh, in the same way. Uh, and it's not as rewarding to those faculty because the learners don't seem to be as, as engaged because of that, of that relationship that they have. You know, the, the traditional model of pimping and, uh, you know, putting you on the spot and asking those questions, uh, you know, in the middle of rounds um, is not the most effective uh, way for, for today's learner anymore. Um, and that's more seen as, you know, kind of disrespectful and, and that interaction is seen differently now. So I think those faculty are, are starting to see that uh, their style of teaching uh, from their past 
needs to be modified a little bit. So I think they're coming around slowly. It's taking a little bit more time probably, but uh, uh, we're, get, we're, we're, we're working on it. But yeah, it does take a little bit of, of time for them to, to see it from that perspective. So they see you as a zealot? Do your colleagues look at you? Oh, there's that guy. He's gonna come in and talk to me about how to be sensitive. Or do you have, or do you, or do you, or do you have some good feedback from your colleagues there who are saying, yeah, we kind of get it. We know you've got a paper published. Maybe we should look at the abstract. I mean, where 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 is it at at Loyola right now? Yeah, you know, I think I think there's a, a core group of faculty that have uh, really jumped on board and have bought into it. Um, and then uh, uh, another group that's kind of like, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. Maybe uh, we should, uh, you know, let, let's see. We'll let's support the idea. And then there's uh, I think a handful that are kind of you know by the, the side saying yeah this is going to be a phase that uh, is going to maybe pass by just like that whole internet thing and the whole you know, <laughs> our thing is just going to face uh, is a phase that'll pass by us too Shh, maybe Shahid will go away if we don't say anything <laughs> right. you, you know to speak to that though I, th- yeah. I think that because it has a name it has the risk of, of being associated as kind of a trend or like yeah. you know this cool thing emotional intelligence is something people are but I mean, if you think about the components of it, it's something we've been doing for a long time in pieces, right? We've talked about reflection. We talk about empathy. Those things aren't going away. So, right. so I'm emphasizing the components of it and, and, and bringing awareness to that, I, I think, um, could help counteract some of that skepticism. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah. All, yeah, we're just on the, we're on the ground floor here, Yeah. right? Yeah. What were you going to say, yeah. Dr. Sheed? Yeah, so you know, I think uh, you know, I I've had the opportunity to give a couple of grand rounds and things here, and uh, and and other departments, and and the word is getting out in other departments in our in our uh, medical school and hospital as well. And I've gone to nursing leadership, uh, you know, uh, uh, meetings and given the, a talk on EI, and they, you know, I think uh, you know, the nursing staff has really bought into it, uh, probably a little bit more actually than the the physicians, because I think they're a little bit you know, better at uh, maybe uh, relating with uh, patients and, uh, you know, a little more compassionate, uh, you know, maybe uh, than some of the physicians, but uh, they, uh, you know, they, uh, I think it's, uh, um, have, getting the word out and, uh, you know, having people buy into it, I think is, is really, really important. And they're seeing it more as, uh, you know, kind of a team building, uh, you know, type of uh, uh, activity where it really allows everybody to work well together, mm-hmm. see each other's strengths and areas that we can work well, you know, together on all in the interest of, uh, of patient care, all the interest of, uh, of teamwork and all the interest of, uh, you know, uh, of uh, promoting resilience and preventing burnout, you know, so I think uh, um, uh, from that level, uh, from the team approach and, and the team building type of uh, discussion, uh, I think that's another angle that, that emotional intelligence can be taken from. Um, we're going to close up, but Laura, do you have any Closing thoughts or questions for Dr. Sheed? This has been really fascinating. I loved your article. I'm thrilled to, to meet you and be able to talk with you. So I think uh, moving forward with EI at both the team building level and at building good leaders is a, a really brilliant idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you much. Great. Dr. Casapula? Oh, I'm just selfishly hoping we have an opportunity to do some research together. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it'd be great to collaborate. Get, yeah. Yep, yep. I, I I don't I don't I don't think that should be a, a superficial thing. I think that should be really a serious thing. I mean, like mm-hmm. a lawyer, to be able to work on this level because obviously the data is there for his residency program, and we don't have anything be, below that, right? That's awesome. Right. Hey, Ramzan, I just want to thank you. You know, I called you up. Um, Laura prompted this, and we'll give her full credit for the interest in this. It it is meaningful to me as a burned out physician to to see these concepts and want to find any way I can to help teach the students coming in how to avoid the pitfall of the past 
and make it through a career where they feel rewarded and feel like they've been uh, productive and been able to help people. And so I just appreciate the fact you've taken the interest in this and that you're working in this field and that, you know, you were willing to come on and talk to us about it. No, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, I, I've enjoyed this work and, uh, uh, you know, uh, being able to find something uh, of, of interest or a new idea and being able to run with it, I think is, is really, really cool. And like you're saying, you know, to find something that you're passionate about or re-energizes you, you know, I think, uh, you know, being in mid-career right now, going through my midlife crisis, I think this is a nice, uh, it's a nice professional uh, niche that I've been able to find. So I just truly appreciate the opportunity to be able to share my ideas and thoughts with all of you. So thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Again, I just want to thank uh, Laura for showing up and for giving us the idea. And for Dr. Casapula, for all she does, which is far more than we've given her credit for, she, believe me, she's far busier than just kayaking. And uh, we just thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you the next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science and is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so that their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. Rotations is hosted by Nisark Bakshi, produced by Todd Fredericks, audio engineered by Kyle Snyder, and video edited by Ryan Fowle. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the streets. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve all rights to content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any matter without express permission of the content creators, and you must cite the Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting media at medicine.com backslash rotation.